tonight we'll get it, uh, we'll officially get things kickstarted with a look at Matthew chapter one, a, a chapter that uh, we've uh, we obviously have looked at a lot throughout our our lives as Christians. Um, it's probably a chapter that you probably haven't really read that much because you get to verse 2 and you think, well, this is just a list of names. I'm just going to skip over all these names because they're hard to pronounce and I don't blame you. It's, it's difficult. Um, uh, and then later on in the chapter, we get kind of some of the Christmas story details. We're, we're going to look at uh, a few of these verses in just a minute, but uh, I want to talk about Christmas time and, and the Christmas season kind of to set the table. Um, and that I think this chapter uh, offers us something unique. And we've talked about this before. Um, if you've been around uh, me long enough, it, 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 uh, as you've been in church for a few years, um, there's, um, uh, there's probably not an original Christmas sermon out there. Most of them have been preached a few times, but we believe that God has something fresh to say every time through each and every one of them. So as often as we hear some of this stuff repeated, we believe that God's got something new and important for us nonetheless. Uh, so perhaps you've heard that uh, Christmas time brings a little bit of heaven to earth. And maybe you believe that, maybe you've felt that, maybe you've just heard it said and you don't really know what it means, but you kind of nod along with it because, yeah, it's different than it usually is. Uh, but the atmosphere and the energy of this time of year feels different. And unless your last name is Scrooge, uh, you probably would agree it's a good kind uh, of different. Uh, I hope I'm not picking on anybody. Uh, I don't think there's any Scrooges with us tonight, uh, maybe, um, maybe in spirit, but uh, hopefully we'll get rid of that. Um, but, but much of what is rooted uh, about Christmas rooted in the Christmas season and, and, and really at the heart of the Christmas season, you know, we're introduced to it as kids. And as kids, it's, and it's, and I think it's been this way for years, going back to the, to the Victorian age and, and Charles Dickens and the Christmas story that uh, he wrote and popularized. For the last hundred years, 200 years or so, Christmas has brought with it this supernatural, this kind of uh, magical uh, atmosphere and, and everything in this year, this time of year, it operates by different rules and we all kind of get in a different mood and, and, and whether that mood lasts for a long time or not, we all at least temporarily adopt a different mood in this time of year. There's a joy in the air that's unrivaled. There's music, there's festivities, and everything's just got a little bit more positive when Christmas rolls around. And hopefully that positivity lasts from today until, uh, or from Thanksgiving until Christmas comes to an end. Uh, maybe it gets a little bit tested and tried before the 25th rolls around, but most of us, we at least buy into positivity for a little while. Um, and, and, and how could you not be more positive when Christmas comes around, and how could you not be more um, uplifted uh, because by, by the Christmas season? Because there's so many gr great promises when it comes to Christmas, and, and Christmas really means something to everybody. And Christmas has something to offer to everybody, that, it, that it's not just to some people, it's to all people. Uh, so I think it's very apt to say that uh, just like on that first Christmas night when the heavens torn open, you know the story, when the angels are singing and the shepherds look up and they can see into heaven, uh, and, it, and it doesn't say that the angels came to earth, it just says that they looked up into the sky and they saw the multitude as if they saw the courtroom of heaven, that they saw the throne of heaven and they could see into it. That, that we believe that this realm and, and the heavenly realm, they're kind of side by side and, and sometimes they get get kind of close and during the Christmas season maybe they get closer than ever and you can look up into the sky and it's almost as if the heavens are peeled back and you can look into the courtroom the, you can look into the throne room of heaven and there the angels are and there they sing glory to God in the highest that's what the shepherds saw on that first Christmas night and I think I think the walls between this realm and that realm I think they grow as thin as they can be uh, and I think we can see through to the other side um, this time of year, more so maybe than any 
other. Um, but, but what if I told you that the closest scene to heaven, what if I told you the closest scene to heaven on earth during this time of year is actually Christmas parties? Now, you, you may have a, a, a hand to raise and say, well, what, what kind of Christmas parties are you talking about? Now, if we were to narrow in on the Christmas season where heaven and earth intersects the most, because I believe that is true about this season, um, the scene that most resembles heaven on earth, it's not the parades, it's not the caroling, it's not even the church services, as much as I would like to say that's the case. But I think that any random Christmas party might be the closest reflection of heaven on earth as we get. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. We can't possibly be talking about every Christmas party, any Christmas party, because come on, Christmas parties often end up with a rather, let's be nice and say, a, a rather eclectic assortment of people right? Christmas is the one time of year where you really can't conveniently forget to invite somebody to, to a party. Christmas parties are the one event of the year where everybody, and I mean everybody, gets invited. And you know what that means. It means you're going to get your annual dose of that special someone that you maybe can't handle more than one time of year. And, and, and I joke about it, and we've all got stories of how at Christmas, you know, grandma or grandpa or somebody that's throwing the party, um, they, don't just have, they just don't have it in their heart to leave anyone out. And while birthdays and maybe Sunday luncheons, you can get by with not including everyone, Christmas parties have to be open to every uncle, every cousin, every twice-removed relative in the family tree, right? Uh, and even though when you pull into the driveway and you see their car, you initially cringe and you say to yourself and then someone nudges you um, when you're maybe mumbling under your breath, um, you relent and you, you, you promise to be on your best behavior because it is Christmas after all. We've all got those stories, right? You know, you pull into the driveway and you're looking, for the, looking at the cars and you know that car and that car and then you see that car and you think, I haven't seen that one in a year. Uh, and, and unless they got a new one or unless someone else has got that car, you kind of know who it is. And, and, and again, we, we, we joke and we jest. Um, but, but all of us have been there, right? All of us, we're, we're human. We've all been through that before. Maybe it happens more than just at Christmas. But at Christmas time especially, uh, you determine to be on your best behavior uh, because again, it is, it is Christmas after all. And see, that's it. It, it's just, it just makes sense that Christmas includes everyone, and something in us is more receptive. Something in us is more warm towards everyone during this season. And, and maybe sometimes your, 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 your patience gets tested, but most of us, we at least go into the room with our best put forward. Now, we've all got memories of Christmas parties through the years where maybe that was, that was the one time a year, the only time in your life where you got to spend time with some part of your family. Uh, and for better or for worse, thank God for Christmas because you might not even know the person. There are, people in, there are people in my family that I probably would have never even met if it wasn't for Christmas. Um, and, and it wasn't because, you know, there, there was a wall between us and them. It was just that, hey, life is busy and things are always so, you know, everybody's always so otherwise, you know, uh, committed. And, and Christmas is the one time a year where everybody says, hey, I'm going to make the time to go there or go there. And um, Christmas is the one time a year where you get to see that relative that otherwise you wouldn't ever get to see. And, and, and you know, that we, we all laugh at some of the colorful characters that Christmas brings into our, into our homes or into our family homes. And, and boy, do some of us have some family members that have the most bizarre stories to tell. Um, and and we, 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 have to, we have to believe that they're made up because sometimes you think you, you, maybe you think you couldn't make that story up, but we've all been there. And even some of the less, some of the people in our families that have maybe less than admirable reputations, um, 
Something about Christmas kind of smooths over the rough edges. And maybe you wouldn't sit and listen to some of that stuff on a random Friday in July, but come Christmas, you'll kind of deal with it if you have to. Uh, and, and would you want it any other way? You know, you watch the Christmas movies and there's always those relatives that are in the scene and you think, yeah, this movie wouldn't be good if they weren't in it. Uh, and, and your memories wouldn't be your memories if they didn't include every colorful character that comes into the party. Now, you see, this is why, and again, you might be thinking, what has this got to do with heaven? It has everything to do with heaven. You see, this is why I believe that Christmas parties are the real intersection between heaven and earth because they reflect the heart of the Christmas story. They reflect the heart of the gospel because they bring all of us together just as we are and we all seem to find a way to get along, share laughs, make memories that last a lifetime that we otherwise may not would be open to any other day of the year. When the Bible tells us the Christmas story, it begins with Matthew's gospel. The first book of the New Testament is Matthew's gospel, which is Matthew's version of the events of Jesus, the events of the life of Jesus. And Matthew begins with a genealogy. He doesn't begin with a once upon a time. He doesn't begin with a, a long time ago. This is what happened. He begins with a family tree of the main character of Jesus. And of course, that is Jesus. Now, when I think about Matthew's genealogy, I think about any one of our family Christmas parties because just like some of our homes in a few weeks, Matthew 1 features some people that raise some eyebrows. Matthew 1 traces Jesus back all the way to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and it highlights some of the relatives of Jesus, but it presents everyone in a concise list that when I read this list, I like to imagine all of them in the same place. And let's just assume all of them are in heaven. We don't know that. We, we, we don't know where, they, what their faith, where their faith was. We just know they're in this family tree. But let's assume all of them are in heaven. And I like to imagine as I read this list, all of them being highlighted, spotlighted in the same place in heaven. Uh, and, and when you lay them all out, and when you look at them all together... And you think about how they all ended up in the original Christmas story, the backstory of Christmas, some of them seem a little out of place. And if you didn't know that they, if you don't think they seem out of place, maybe you just haven't heard their story, which tonight maybe we'll get into a little bit of those um, those backstories. But I want to just read uh, Matthew 1, 1 through 11. And again, I, I know these names are a little bit, um, sometimes it seems a little bit silly to read through these names, but I always tell people this, and, and this is something you can tell others, um, and it's not original to me. I don't know who said it first, but um, names in the Bible don't always seem important, but if it was your name, you bet it would feel important, right? So if you read, when you read a list of names in the Bible and you think, well, this doesn't matter, it matters to the person's name, right? So if it was your name, you'd want it read. So I think it's good that we give some attention to some of these names. And if you can't pronounce them, that's fine. Uh, you can just make up your own pronunciation for them. And, and, and of course, uh, if it helps you get through it, that, that's what matters. So let's just read. And, and again, some of these names are going to sound familiar. Some of these names are going to bring some good memories, and some of them maybe bring some not-so-good uh, thoughts or, or memories, um, uh, if you know the Bible. But I digress. Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And if you wanted to read on, you could read even more of the sons of the family of Judah, of David, and so forth. And, and, and you've probably heard sermons before, and, and this will be kind of one of those sermons maybe, but you've heard sermons before, and there is a temptation to analyze this list of people and obsess over every little detail and wonder aloud, how did they get here? And Matthew, Matthew is grinning ear to ear as he's writing this story, and of course he's inspired, but Matthew kind of includes some things in this genealogy that are specifically meant to kind of raise your eyebrow. He specifically includes uh, uh, some, some, some uh, references that are meant to make us think about certain parts of the history of these people, and it's meant to make us think, oh yeah, that person's in the family tree of Jesus. Do you know what they did? Do you know what their story is? And it makes you think, makes you question, how did they get in such an important family tree? Just like you may regard some of the people on your guest list this year, you may think, maybe walk into a party in a few weeks and you may think, why are they here? But the reason why all the people end up in one place is because they shared a family connection. Why, why are the people at the parties you attend there? Because you're probably related to them. They're probably somehow connected to your family. And why are the people in this family tree? Well, they, of course, are a part of one family. Likewise, in this instance, the reason all of these people are in this list is because of the very first name mentioned in it. Verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus be very, be very, uh, pay very close attention to this. This isn't about declaring that Jesus could only come from these particular people. This list isn't about saying, hey, these people are the only people that could have ever been worthy of bringing the Messiah into the world. This list is about showcasing how Jesus came from a lineage of people that resemble any family that's ever lived. There's nothing special about these people. Really, as you get into it, there's a lot of things that are not special. There's a lot of things that are not spectacular at all about these people. There's a lot of things that are very shameful about these people. But Matthew is not hiding any of those details. You know why they're in this list? You know why they're in this chapter? Jesus is why. They're in this chapter because Jesus just so happened to be born into their family. So back up a little bit, if you will. Much broader conversation. 
You know why Christmas parties reflect heaven on earth? You know why this list reflects heaven on earth? Because it punctuates how any of us end up going to heaven when we die. It's all because of Jesus. You know, you can gatekeep who comes into your home on any given night of the week. You can gatekeep who joins your club. You can even gatekeep who comes into your church if you have that kind of power. You may even allow only certain people to come into your parties at any given time of year, even Christmas. But when it comes to heaven, the only reason any of us will get to go there when we die has nothing to do with what we've done or what we haven't done, who we are or who we aren't. It has everything to do with Jesus. This list reflects the reality of heaven. The way these people end up in the most important family tree of all time is the same way they ended up in heaven when they died. The same way we get to go to heaven when we die. They got here. The same reason why any of us get to go to heaven because, entirely because, of an association with Jesus. None of these people are in this list because of something good that they did. And none of them suddenly lose their place because of something bad they did. They got in because of Jesus. And if somebody asks you, hey, what's the message of Christmas? That's it. And that's why Christmas might be the one time of year where our homes actually resemble heaven, where the world most resembles heaven, because it's the one time of year where we actually practice what we preach. You know, all year long we claim and we, we, we claim and practice a version of Christianity. Uh, we claim to practice and preach a version of Christianity that embodies what the angels sang so long ago. Luke tells us the angels had two very important lines on Christmas night. Luke 2 verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for, can we say it together, all the people. Not some of the people, not only a portion of the people. God was saying to shepherds in Jerusalem or in Judea near Bethlehem, this is a message for all the people. Not just some of the people. The, the Greek is all the nations, the whole world. So what is Christmas all about? What is the gospel? That God has good news of great joy for all the people. Not some of the people. Not the people you like. Not the people who are like you. But all the people. And then the angels start singing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Good will among men and women. That's plural as in among all the people. That God has good feelings toward. God has something good in mind for all people. You know, our outreach and our posture suggest that we'd rather only share this with a small group of like-minded people. And maybe we even only believe it applies to people that we are pleased with. But we know what the Bible teaches. We know what Christmas reveals, that there is room for everyone, all because of Jesus. And this is especially highlighted and emphasized by Jesus' family tree. And, and you know, I, and this is just something I like to think about it. I'm, this, I'm not saying this does happen. Maybe it does. I don't know. Nobody knows. 
I like to think that in heaven, every Christmas, there's a special Christmas party. And I don't know, they bigger things going on in heaven. I like to think, though, that every Christmas, there's a Christmas party. And I, th- I like to think that maybe the original, the original family tree all gets a special shout out. That Jesus says, hey, I want all my family members, especially the ones that are in this genealogy. I like to think that maybe Matthew even gets to list a name. Maybe he's the MC of the night right there, the big ballroom in heaven, and Matthew gets to stage and says, hey guys, remember me? I wrote the book, right? Hey, let's give a shout out to all the people that make up Jesus' family tree. And he reads off the list. And hopefully they're all there. We don't know who's there and who isn't there. But I like to believe that if they are all there, Matthew reads their name and everybody says, hey, there's Abraham, there's Judah, there's Ram. I mean, we don't name people like that anymore, right? Got to give that guy a shout out. There's Abinadab. There's David. There's Jeconiah. I like to think that everybody gets a shout out. Because what speaks to the message and meaning of Christmas more than this list of names? There isn't, there isn't anything. Certainly, there are some that we look at in this list and we, uh, we recall their stories and we think, of their, we think to ourselves, how did someone like this get into such an important story, such an important family? But in reality, people like this, families like this are why Christmas came at all. You know, usually in messages like this one, certain names are given more attention than others. But when you really get down to it, almost all of them wave some red flags. Starting with the number one guy, Abraham. Abraham, now we think, well, Abraham, there's nothing nothing wrong with Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. He's the father of the Jewish people. But also, if you know the story of Abraham, he's also the father of some pretty big lies. Remember Abraham? Abraham, who is such a great husband, he's going down to Egypt and he's worried about number one and he says to his wife, hey, can you just lie and say you're my sister so when Pharaoh sees you, he doesn't kill me? He might take you and do whatever he wants to with you, but at least he doesn't kill me. I mean, how would you like to be married to that guy? Not very, not very new. And that's not the husband of the year material right there. This is the guy that God picked to start the whole deal with. A coward. A guy who couldn't even stand up for his wife. And, and, when his wife was concerned that God couldn't fulfill his promise with her, and she suggested to Abraham, maybe, maybe, maybe you should, maybe you should, maybe think about having another wife. And instead of saying to Abraham, to Sarah, hey honey, no, God's going to do this. I don't want anybody but you. He was very, very, very quick to say, oh, I'll try that. I mean, it's just say what it is, right? Have you seen Hagar? He said, yeah, I've seen Hagar. Didn't take long for that to get going. And again, I'm not trying to make you think less of these people. I'm just trying to get you to see the people for who they are. A liar and an and, and, and adulterer, right? He's in the story. And again, again, we know he's the guy that God called. But what does the Bible say? What is the, why does the Bible say that he was righteous? Because he trusted God. Because there's nothing he did that made him righteous. There was a lot of things he did that make it, made him unrighteous. And yet he's right there at the start of the story. And then there's Jacob. Jacob, who <laughs> cheated his brother out of his birthright, deceived his father. His father is on his deathbed, and he puts on animal skin to make his dad think he's, he's his brother. And then... God promises Jacob he's going to make something out of his story and Jacob just runs away for 20 years and doesn't so much as pray and gets in a weird love triangle, comes back with four, ends up with four different wives, with kids with four different women and gets in this big game with his father-in-law and, he, and he's trying to cheat him out of all of his livestock. I mean, he's just a piece of work. 
And he's the one that God comes to and says, Jacob, you're going to be Israel. I'm going to start my nation through you. And there's no point in the story where it says, oh, Jacob was a great guy. Jacob was a godly man. Jacob was a, was a scoundrel. His name, his name literally means deceiver. And there he is in the Christmas story. And then, and then, there's Judah. I mean, what name is more synonymous with the Christmas story, except maybe for David, but Judah, because what, what, what is the heart of the Christmas story? That Bethlehem in Judea, in the, in the tribe of Judah? Judah, the, the, the namesake for the, for the tribe that brings Jesus into the world, the homeland, Judah, who promised his daughter-in-law that he would take care of her because her husband passed away, his son. The, guy, the Bible says that Judah's sons were so wicked. His sons were so wicked that they just kept falling over dead. And I'm not saying this happens in the day's world or not. Maybe it does. But Judah, son number one dies. Son number two dies. And then Judah says, I don't know if I want my next, this son, I don't want, I think I need to protect him. But the laws of the land was that for was Judah was supposed to take care of his, his daughter-in-law and, and, and he wouldn't give his youngest son to her in marriage. And he promised Tamar, hey, I'm going to take care of you. But hey, it's going to be a while because I, I got to make sure my youngest son is not going to fall over dead too. So I got to do some work. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the story goes that Tamar realizes that Judah's just, he's just a piece of work. No wonder his sons are so wicked because he's kind of wicked. Oh, by the way, remember, remember Judah, what Judah had, had what his, what he's really, his claim to fame is before, before that story? Judah was the one who had the bright idea, let's throw our little brother in an empty well because we're jealous of him. It was Judah that was the one that told his brothers, hey, we got to get rid of this kid because he's taking all of our spotlight. So they throw him in a pit and then they, they think, well, we shouldn't sell him. We shouldn't kill him. We can sell him, make some money off of him. So Judah, you wonder why his kids are, are, are not where they should be because he, the leader of the gang, was not where he should be. So then years go by and Tamar, Tamar, knows that Judah, who has this reputation of being this great man, this, this bold and courageous lion, she knows he's not anything but a cowardly lion. So she decides to, 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 to get him back. And she knows that Judah, <laughs> Judah is um, notorious for visiting a pagan temple once in a while. And the way pagan temples worked back in the day were there would be prostitutes out front and if you really wanted to make the pagan gods happy, you would give them a lot of money and they would give you a prostitute in return. So Tamar says, I know where to find Judah. So Tamar puts on the attire of a prostitute and she waits at the temple for Judah to come by. And Judah takes her services for the day. And the story goes that Tamar is pregnant, but Judah didn't have any money to pay her for those services. So Judah left his, essentially his, license behind his identification behind the story goes that Tamar is pregnant and Judah hears that his daughter-in-law has played the harlot and Judah hears that his daughter-in-law is pregnant because uh, by way of prostitution and Judah declares that she should be burned alive because of shaming his family and just before he lights the match she says I'd like the stage for a moment moment could you tell me whose identification this is. And the room gets quiet. And Judah calls off the ceremony. 
He falls on his face and he says, you are more righteous than me. And Tamar had Judah's children. Not just one, but two sons were born to Tamar. And there he is in the middle of the story. Abraham, Jacob, and Judah. And these are the people that God chose to start the story with. And again, none of, the, none, none of this is about celebrating sin. It's about making it clear and obvious that these sinners needed a savior. And they were gonna get one. The story goes on that Rahab, Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. Of course, we know Rahab had a name, had a full name, Rahab the harlot. Rahab was a Gentile in the land of Jericho. Rahab uh, was a prostitute who just so happened to let some spies come into her house. I mean, I'm sure nothing, nothing funny business there. I mean, she was used to having strange men come and go. But Rahab let these men come into her home, and then while they're in there, and she realizes that this is the people that God has been using and doing all these great things with, and Rahab agrees to work with them and help them and defend them and even lie for them. And again, we know, we know that's not right, but that's how the story goes. Rahab lies to Jer the people of Jericho, says, I haven't seen anybody, but she lets them hide in her home. And somehow, someway, she ends up getting married to one of the sons of Judah and she gets into the lineage of Jesus. And then, and then, King David. David. Now, David, we know David's a great man. He's the man after God's own heart. He's the shepherd boy. He's the giant killer. But there are many, as many bad things about David as there are good. David is the one who is responsible for an entire village of priests being massacred because he lied to the priest and put the entire town in danger when he should have been trusting in God. David is the one who abducted a woman and forced her to lay with him. That means against her will, by the way. And then because he was worried about getting caught, had her husband put on the front line to die. David, who chased after a third marriage instead of raising his children and watched his family fall apart. His sons had watched their dad do whatever he wanted to with whomever he wanted to whenever he wanted. So they thought they could do it too. One of his sons raped their sister. Another son killed that son out of revenge and declared war on his own father and stole the throne away from him. Joab finally reflected David back to him and said, David, you, you, are, you shouldn't be surprised at what your kids are doing. They're just doing what you taught them to do. Again, what does all this show us? It makes God's decision to bless them and choose them even more remarkable. It's to people like this. It's to people like us that Christmas came to. It's the people like us that Jesus came into the world for. We could go on and on through every one of these names and there are many things about each one of them that should have disqualified them from ever appearing in the Bible. Much less a list like this. But again, Jesus came into their family as a part of a step into the much larger family of humans to save sinners of all flavors of all kinds. Look down at verse 21. This is what the angel told Joseph about his wife who was to bear this child. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. At no point do we have to say, what sins is he talking about? We know what sins he's talking about, don't we? We just looked through them. We just remembered them. And that wasn't even a half, a half of them, a tenth of them. Jesus is going to save his people, not just these people, but all people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. I, I love this. Jesus will save his people. Do you see that? Jesus is claiming us before he even saves us. Does that register with you? He will save his people from their sins. He's calling us his people before he even saves us from our sins. Do you see that? He doesn't say he'll save them and make them his people if they are saved. It says he's going to save his people from their sins. I love, this is so important. Jesus claims us before we change and even if we don't change. I'm not saying that we shouldn't change. We should. I'm not saying that salvation doesn't change. It does. But Christmas tells us that Jesus claims us whether we change or not. Because what is the message of the, of the, from the angels? I've got good news of great joy for all people. God is for us and God is with us before we are ever with or for him and even if we are never with or for him. That's the goodness of God that you can never, ever, ever fully comprehend. If you believe any other version of the gospel, any other version of the Christmas story, you've, ex you've, you've extracted the grace of God from the heart of the story. If this makes us uncomfortable, it's because we put, our own, we put our faith in some version of the gospel that doesn't put all the weight on Jesus that somehow shares it with us. Absolutely, salvation will change us. But the point of this is that these people were, were who they were, and yet Jesus still came from them and for them. It's clear based on this lineage that Jesus came on a rescue mission because there was no salvation if not for him. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's a rescue mission. If we're going to embrace the true Jesus, he does not want any help. And he does not share any credit. He wants all the credit. Because what's Christmas? The, the word Christmas is much or more of Christ. As in Christmas is about giving him the stage, giving him the glory, giving him the credit. Salvation comes from God alone. We do not contribute anything but our sin. You see that? What do these people bring into the story? Nothing but their unrighteousness. You look at this list, you look across the parties that you'll be at this month, maybe look across any given church and you think, how did they get here? Should they really be here? I mean, do they really have a place here? Yes, they do. You know why? Jesus is the reason. He came into the world full of religious people that didn't think they needed a savior and they rejected him. They didn't like that Jesus wanted all the credit. They wanted the glory themselves. They couldn't let go of what they thought they contributed and that's why some of us never get to enjoy the true meaning of Christmas because there's no room for us in this story. There's no room for us in the story if Jesus is not at the center of it. Again, this chapter begins with this is the story of Jesus Christ. There's no David, there's no Abraham, there's no none of us if not for Jesus. But you know, when Jesus came, 
The religious rejected him, but you know who received him? You know who embraced him? People like these that we've read about. Liars and adulterers and cowards and crooks and scoundrels, prostitutes and murderers, and much, much worse. But guess what? You know why we even know the story of Christmas? You know why we know the story of Jesus? Because the sinners, these people, the sinners were saved and were changed and they are the ones that went on to write the story down because guess who's writing this story? It's a guy named Matthew and Matthew wasn't even allowed near the Jewish temple. He was not even allowed near the Jewish synagogues. He was exiled from the Jewish faith because he was too far gone and he's the one writing the story. And I think it, I think it was so fulfilling for him to be the one that wrote this list of names down because just just as Jesus saved them, he, saved, they, he himself was saved, and that's why you and I have a chance as well. God would have it no other way. In fact, he didn't allow for it to happen any other way. So this Christmas, let's remember what it's all about. Remember what it, what it says about us. If not for Jesus, none of us would have a place in the story. Because of Jesus, all of us have a place in the story. Because of Jesus, we can be saved from our sin and surrounded by God's Spirit. Because of Jesus, we can be saved and surrounded by God. We cannot get rid of sin without Jesus. We don't get God's presence without Jesus. So if we do anything this Christmas, let's unwrap more of him and let's celebrate him for all he's worth. And he's worth so much. He's worthy of all the glory and all the praise and all the celebration. And thankfully, we're just getting started. We've got a whole month all about celebrating Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is God with us. He is God for us. He has come to save us from our sin. There is no salvation apart from Christmas apart from Jesus. But thanks to Jesus, there's enough salvation for everybody, even you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Christmas. Thank you for the message that we're going to be talking about all month long, that it reminds us that there's room, as the old song says, there's room at the cross for everybody because Jesus came for everybody. Christmas is for everybody. Nobody, nobody is left out of the story. So Father, I pray you might would make all of us feel included and make all of us feel warmed at heart and prepared to go and tell the world about Christmas, about Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.